Good day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Episode 6 of Series 7 of This Week in Startups Australia. Scaling is the hardest task facing a startup entrepreneur. Harder than getting started, harder than getting to an MVP, harder than getting investment. Scaling is hard. But there are any number of startups who have scaled successfully, including a few who have already been on Twista, such as Canva, Envato, Catapult, and Airtasker. What can we learn from their successes in scaling? That's our theme for Series 7. Scaling is happening against the backdrop of a rapidly changing political landscape here in Australia. We're in the final days before a momentous transition in political power. No matter who wins this year's federal election, we'll be operating in a different world with different priorities. But what should our priorities be? How can we align our policies with our politics? And what are our policies? It isn't often that we get asked that question, but we do get asked to decide on policy when we go to the polls. So this is the time to have a think, a long, hard think, about the kind of world we want if we want to build scalable startups. The policies of scaling on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by the University of Technology Sydney, driving the next generation of entrepreneurs. UTS is equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To find out more about entrepreneurship at UTS and the UTS Startups Program, go to startups.uts.edu.au. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by .co, the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing extraordinary ideas online. Your brand wasn't built to blend in, so don't let it. Get a .co domain that's as unique and memorable as your one-of-a-kind idea. Find your .co today at go.co slash twista and take advantage of freebies, tools, and resources to get your idea off the ground. That's www.go.co slash twista. And... This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business looking to streamline costs on shipping and postage? Simplify and save with SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. Visit them online at pitneybowes.com au slash twista. Policy, huh? Well, I think there's been a dearth of policy for quite some time in this country. I think there's a number of areas where we are very sadly lacking, in particular around the future of work and preparing our population for the onslaught of technology, automation and artificial intelligence. 
I also think we haven't leveraged technology in the right way to solve some very deep and complex problems that are occurring in this country. To name a few that are very important to me are we have an increasing rate of recidivism. In fact, New South Wales has the highest rate of people returning to prison. Most of them are Aboriginals. Most of them are young people that have left out of home care. On a completely different parallel paradigm, we've got uh, cost of living pressures, which is affecting everybody. And for the first time in this country, we have a working poor. We have people that are working that are homeless and living in their cars. This is an absolute disgrace. The status quo is completely dysfunctional. It is not acceptable. And yet we seem to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And what I see around policy is that we are not talking to the right people. The right people that can affect policy change are not sitting at the table to advise government of these things. The insular nature of government continues to be so that it's certain people that get to have the ear of politicians and they're the policies that seem to get through while the rest of us are scratching their heads thinking, who the hell advised this stuff in the first place? So for me... Progress isn't progress if we leave people behind. And if you look at Australia, we're leaving people behind everywhere. We're leaving the farmers behind that could be leveraging technology to improve what they're farming and how they are farming. We're leaving young people behind who have absolutely no clue what they're going to be doing in the next five years is going to affect how they're going to be in the next 10 or 20 years. We've got a situation where we have an untapped labour force with veterans, with women returning to work, with young people striving to try and get into good professions, and we're not really helping any of those people see the light of day. I see the world in puzzles. It's not that hard to fix any of these systemic problems in this country, but we need cross-sector collaboration, and I think tech and startup have got to be at the forefront of this. My view is forget about government. Honestly, just they're going to be doing what they're doing in, in whatever way they're going to be doing it. And if we want to see the change, it's up to you and me and everyone around, around this podcast to actually be the change that's so desperately needed to present more fulsome policy that really takes us to another level and doesn't leave anyone behind. Joining us on this Twista Policy Special are Chantal Abishar, Managing Director of the studio at Wynyard Green, the Creative Tech co-working space where we record this week in Startups Australia, Mari Herps, Director of Entrepreneurship at the University of Technology, Sydney. UTS has, and I keep on losing count, but I think it's over 230 startups in incubation through Mari's program. Well done. Anne-Marie Elias, Lab Director Unboxed, Australia's first well-being and social impact accelerator. And joining us for the first time on Twista is my old friend and colleague, John Alsop. Now, before I arrived in Australia, John was doing his best with the Web Directions Conference to support a strong startup community here in Australia. I keynoted his conference in 2006, and at the drinks afterward, this young entrepreneur came up to me and shared his impressions of my talk. It had got him thinking. That was uh, that was Mike Cannon Brooks in the earliest days of Atlassian. And then, I think the next year, Canva co-founder Cam Adams, who's been on Twister precisely because I had the opportunity to meet him at Web Directions years before Canva. So that tells you the kind of talent that John has attracted into his orbit. So, John, 
Welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark. It's great to finally be here. Okay, everyone. We've got a lot of issues to discuss. I think probably let's start with are we really trying, is the path forward at one level of policy turning everyone into an entrepreneur? Does that solve problems for us or does it just produce a new set of problems that we're going to need policies for? Turn someone into an entrepreneur. I, I think uh, you could have trouble making the argument that everyone should be, but uh, I think the truth is at the moment we've got a tiny fraction of the people that could be entrepreneurs going into entrepreneurship. We've got a wonderful education system in Australia that sets people up with an ATAR. They choose a subject, a set of subjects in hope of a career. Uh, entrepreneurship is for rebellious or unsuccessful people, including myself. Uh, and I think that's a problem. I think it needs to be seen as a more normal career pathway. And in order for that to happen, we need to invest in driving entrepreneurship. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I really think it needs to start it at a school age level. And people need to really also understand what, what's the upside and the downside to being an entrepreneur. Because I think we're very good at celebrating unicorns and having painting this this quite positive picture sometimes of what it is to be an entrepreneur. But really, um, it's quite different. So we, we need to really educate people around what it means and um, and all the different um, uh, attributes that one might need to be be firing on to be to be able to really uh, become entrepreneurial. So I think it's about an innovation mindset. Not everybody's going to be able to be an entrepreneur. And I'll actually go back to my mum who in 1972 set up, did a pitch to Rotary and said, I want to help the migrants. And we need to provide a sessional service out of a shopping centre. That was in 1974. Hmm. And Rotary gave her funding and gave her a caravan. And I love telling the story of my mum because that's who's inspired me. She never went to Harvard, knew nothing about tech, has not done design thinking, but she had an innovation mindset. And that's something that we all have. I think we're all born with it and then schooling and certain circumstances, bad employers crush you in that capacity to be creative and to think differently, to think outside the box and to always strive for change, that change is not something fearful, it's something positive. And I think that's where we need to get to. It's not about entrepreneurism per se, it's about having that in, in igniting that innovation mindset so that we solve problems better and that we're not scared of collaborating with people that are very different from us. So, John, you have a whole bunch of kids, all daughters, all in school right now. Do you feel like they're getting, as part of what they're learning, are they getting that mindset so that as they move through the education system, as they go to university, as they move out into their jobs, that they're that, that it's that there's a national ethic around innovation and being sort of bright and capable. So my instinct, I think about this a lot. As Mark, as you mentioned, I have four daughters between the ages of six and thirteen. So you know, year year one all the way through to year eight, and so I kind of have seen uh, firsthand how the education system works now, and I compare it to when I was at school forty years or so ago. Um, I mean, a lot of the time it feels very similar to what it felt like when I was going to school. Um, there, there. You know, I'm I'm encouraged by seeing the way in which certain kinds of technology are incorporated into a lot of classes. So, for example, in a science class, the way in which you may present your work is through putting together a, a, a slideshow or a website. So, I see some aspects of of, of a bit more kind of cross disciplinary approach, or or but but in terms of of kind of 
a fundamental change in terms of, of pathways. Like if we think about what a, a bright, dynamic young person w- would be advised to do 40 years or so ago, or maybe you know a bit less, but it would be, well, here are these traditional career pathways. You know, you will be doctors and lawyers or an accountants and, and these other kind of careers, or, well, maybe you're more you know, suited to, to a more kind of more traditional trade. But I think these are still... Uh, in, in people's mindsets, essentially the pathways people take. And then the pathways are very well. They're, there's university or they're what used to be TAFE and hopefully that's coming back. Um, but, you know, like my, my general feeling is is there's definitely a lot more that could be done to open. I think it's much for people to think, oh, well, that is a pathway. That is something I could do. I could be this kind of person. So what's really interesting is right before we all came into studio here, I took a call from the ABC. They want me on this afternoon because part of the surveys that are being taken, so it's a reach-tell survey about what the young people, the youth are into. And the youth have a great deal of worry about precarity, basically, right? About the fact that they've got a degree and that the degree is not necessarily fit to the job market, that everything's moved on, so the stuff they've learned is only vaguely relevant. And that fits in the larger landscape of the fact that the unemployment rate's up only just a bit, but it's up. And so we actually do now see, at least from one segment of the voting public, the younger people, that they're already fully across the fact that this is not working. So how do we turn that agitation into policy? Look, what I missed out on saying before um, was I think creativity is at the heart of of really what we should be encouraging in all children as well. We are all born creative. Have you ever seen not seen a creative child? And I think um, that that sort of nexus between creativity, technology, business is something that can really uh, inspire um, great energy around people. That's what we do at the studio as well, and we see that. Now, I've got another take on that about around jobs for the future. I, you know, skills are it's 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 the skill. People talk about this all the time, but it really is that skills are transferable. So, rather than thinking about what are the next jobs going to be, it's really what are the skills that you have, and how they're going to be applied in a new um, in a new job landscape. That's really it. I'm a filmmaker and look where I am now. But it was absolutely those skills that I had as a factual and documentary filmmaker. I never sat at a desk. I was out in the world actually uh, doing deals every day, um, (laughs) making things happen, uh, landing in a country, not speaking the language, uh, having to find the story or research the story, come back with that. Now, they're all entrepreneurial skills that I was actually learning and teaching myself. I didn't even know I was doing that. And then here I am 30 years later and I am I founded an, and ran a, a startup hub because I saw the need for for a place, a home for the type of, you know, for where I'd come from, really. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, is that you actually managed to make this also work at a level of policy because this was the outcome of a report you did that then got delivered to to government, which became then embedded in policy. So is there a way to be able to make both sides of this work, though, right, where we say, okay, we've identified a need, we need to make things more entrepreneurial, and there's a great policy wedge we have here? Yeah, well, I suppose what I can say is I really, all I did was I reflected on the impact of technology on my last 30 years in the industry 
and how the and the opportunities that uh, that afforded me and then I did this research which was for my master's thesis I did a deep dive into Time Warner's accelerator program which brought together creativity and business and tech and I said we need mechanisms like this to really grow what I frame as uh, a new industry category if we want to think about that's what startups are so if we think very broadly about what is what's the you know traditional media and creative sector producers directors writers musicians artists, we can think about tech startups as a new industry category because they're the ones that are going to be uh, creating the new business models, products and services that will then filter and, and, um, and throughout the rest of the industry and raise the tide for all. But who's going to vote for that? So this is a problem. Like who votes to support the opportunity we could be pursuing but we're not pursuing? We have a wonderful economy in Australia. Uh, we're very lucky as a country. Um, and this is a problem that if, going back to your point, Mark, if there's more uncertainty in the jobs that people are going for, it's never been easier than it is today to start a company. The opportunities have never been as large as they are today for people starting tech companies. But if they're not doing it now, who's going to vote for uh, the people pursuing the policies to create these opportunities and pursue them? They, those people don't exist yet. Well, I guess it's about framing a, a policy that people see as having an impact. So, so to step down a level, we have a, a and and uh, Anne Marie alluded to this in her opening. We have this challenge around affordability, housing affordability, cost of living. Um, when I left university, I was right on the cusp of of, a, of hex. So um, I left with not a, a significant amount of student debt. Increasingly, that's really significant, and, we're, and we see what this looks like at the extremes in the US, where people are burdened with so much debt as well as a high cost of living. I, mean, I used to pay twenty five dollars a week to live in Surrey Hills thirty years ago, right? The same, you know. So, so to be close to the action, to be where other people like you with, with a kind of creative, dynamic mindset are, which I think is very important. And a lot of this is really focused in the CBD and, and, and the surrounding areas in Sydney, for example. Like, I think there are a lot of pressures there that uh, mean that it's an enormous risk for someone to deviate, for, even if they have a great idea, uh, you know, away from a traditional, um, you know, professional pathway. Uh, because, you know, well, they've got to pay for expensive housing. They've got to live their life. They've got to draw, you know, pay down their, their student debt. And so I think there are a lot of things that are at a kind of really fundamental level that may not look to, in, in the first order, impact on people's kind of risk-taking. But I, I think a lot of it, you know, like, you know, in, in Australia for the last 30 or 40 years, the least risky thing you could do is get a mortgage for a significant amount of money, except what you then have done is you've, you've cut off all sorts of avenues for kind of dynamism and creativity because, you know, your bank wants you to service that mortgage. You're listening to the policy special episode of This Week in Startups Australia, and we will be right back. So it's really interesting that the land of the free and uh, the country that it seems to be the most allergic to regulation, the US, uh, we recently had Mark Zuckerberg calling, a bit like Turkey's calling for an extra Christmas, for regulation. They want to be regulated at Facebook. Now, this is an interesting one. I think let's leave aside uh, Zuckerberg's breathtaking cynicism uh, on two counts. One is uh, basically this would be really about 
Facebook and other social media giants abdicating their responsibilities. And also it would create a huge moat that protects their businesses because the the burden placed on them may be significant, but for any new entrant into the field to take on board the responsibility that Facebook and Google and Twitter and Pinterest and these other organisations never had to face would essentially make it very difficult to challenge them. Now, leaving that aside, it's interesting globally, whether it's particularly in Europe where you're seeing them take the lead, but also in California, which is increasingly acting like a country, uh, leaving it because, frankly, nothing's actually happening at the federal level in the US. I was seeing this demand for regulation broadly of, of tech giants. This is all our own fault. We have behaved really badly for an extended period of time, and this is our turkeys coming home to roost. And we've seen it most clearly here in Australia with a couple of recent pieces of breathtakingly bad regulation, or in fact law. Uh, not that they're necessarily in and of themselves bad per se, but how they've been implemented is, is very poor. Uh, I'm alluding to both the, uh, the I can't remember the name of the act uh, passed late last year, which essentially kind of potentially uh, enables or in fact enforces uh, backdoors or front doors indeed being placed in technology, uh, as well as only very, very recently we're seeing um, the potential that ISPs as well as social media platforms and even maybe telcos might be responsible for abhorrent content, criminal content that passes through their pipes. Now, I don't want to go into detail about why these are particularly bad. What I want to think about is why we keep getting these bad regulations. And I think it comes down to the simple lack of, of a deep understanding of, of technology and it's particularly its second order effects and social impacts uh, amongst the kinds of folks who communicate broadly, whether that be in our media, uh, particularly in our political classes. And I think what's really important is to start embedding a much deeper and better understanding in our political classes, uh, in our public service, uh, in our media, in our business leadership about the nature of these technologies and what they're really capable of so that we can get some you know, much better thought out regulation, which I think is actually entirely warranted. This Week in Startups Australia would like to welcome back the University of Technology Sydney as a sponsor. Developing entrepreneurial skills is at the heart of the student experience at UTS. UTS students are creating their own jobs and starting their own companies through the flagship program UTS Startups. Within its first year, the program has launched more than 200 student startups, and they're just getting started. Equipping students with the tools and expertise to become entrepreneurs, then connecting them to industry partners and the startup ecosystem is all part of their innovative approach. UTS is connecting thousands of talented students to industry and works closely with their network of partners to match students and startups through their startup internship program. As a leading university of technology and Australia's number one young university, UTS is investing heavily in this future right now. 
Their inner city campus is also uniquely positioned at Sydney's thriving tech precinct to be the catalyst for digital and creative industries and the startup community. Join them on the journey building Australia's largest community of student entrepreneurs. Go to startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. I think we need to teach entrepreneurship in schools, uh, really encourage an entrepreneurial mindset, maybe is a better way of framing it rather than teaching it, um, because there's so many opportunities there to really uh, encourage children to think about different ways that they will be working as they as they you know, leave the education system um, and and enter university or don't enter university, through that you can also they can also learn financial literacy and a whole range of other skills. We definitely need a better relationship between industry and startups. There's a huge gap there. There's a huge disconnect. Um, that's a that's a major opportunity that we can have policy levers around. Um, Anything, other opportunities, anything involving hardware, design for manufacture and scaling. Um, at the moment, uh, VCs are not focused in this area. Um, this is a huge opportunity for Australia in uh, advanced manufacturing and processes that are now entering the world stage. Um, and another thing, government. Government need to be better with startups. They need to become... Um, uh, allow startups to be, they need to be, government needs to be in the first 10 customers of startups. They need to be early adopters of technology. There's a huge opportunity there. For people that say government should get out of the way, I don't actually agree with that. I've been to Israel, I've seen how deeply uh, government there facilitates connections with the startup ecosystem at all different levels, whether it's about uh, bringing in multinationals and and getting activation around R and D labs um, to to just uh, to acquiesce, they're they're deeply involved in a really positive way, and we can do similar things here. We're back with Chantal Abishar and Maria Elias, Murray Herps, and John Alsop talking policy. All right, so John, we've just heard you really kind of go off about the, the nature of the way the policy debate seems to be happening in a vacuum away from tech companies. And I, I feel like I want to push back just a little bit on this because the Access and Ability Act, there's a popular belief that it mandates putting back doors and it actually doesn't in this specific language to prevent that. But the government has been so bad at communicating it. With these new social media regulations, we're effectively rushed in after Christchurch and as a reaction to that kind of behavior. What we're really doing is we're also, I think the other thing we're doing is we're privileging the commercial purveyors of content, even though that's also 
privileging free speech. And we have to find ways at the policy level to untangle them and to prevent people who have commercial interests from, in some sense, polluting the policy waters, even though that's in their interest to do. So how do we all now start to think about the fact that, in fact, if tech is complaining about policy, sometimes it's because their hands aren't clean. Which is why you need people without vested interests at the table. Okay, so I don't care what policy paradigm you're talking about. If you have the same usual suspects, you're not going to get good policy. You need some disruptors in there. And that's people without the vested interests that might still have something to contribute to that space. And that, I mean, that's clearly the case with a lot of this policy work that's been going on, right? You know, I mean, I think with the Access and uh, Assistance Act, there was actually a fair bit of consultation with this other bill it was very clear that there wasn't. And in fact, the minister had to walk back some of the things that they were saying because it happened so quickly. We know that governments, as a general rule, are reactive. It doesn't matter what flavor they're in, that, that, that they're re reactive. How do we think about injecting the kind of, of diversity in thinking how can we actually formalize that so that a government does do that, even if they're rushed, that they're still getting that diversity of thinking? I mean, is that a way around this problem? Well, so there's a tradition at the Australian Law Reform Commission, right, which is an independent organization that essentially considers these particularly challenging, transformative legal kind of questions and you know, has dealt with everything from, you know, abortion law, you know, assisted suicide, you know, very challenging uh, issues through to much more mundane ones. But, it, you know, it's an organisation whose job it is, is to think deeply and to take, you know, um, sort of submissions uh, from from anyone who really cares to, to make one on matters of law. Now, obviously, not everything we're talking about it necessarily would be enacted in law. You know, regulation of law can be different things. But but I wonder whether or not, you know, a body whose responsibility is to to kind of think long term, to develop expertise and capability might be the sort of approach. I mean, another analogy would be the, the um, Human Rights Commission, an, a standing organisation with a remit around a, a, a set of regulatory kind of policies and a, a regulatory area. So that's not the Information Commissioner, that's not the Privacy Commissioner, because they all have their own zones and it's not these zones. So does this mean we need yet another commissioner? And I see, and Marie no. just said... Well, well, but then how do we inject this kind of, I guess, sense? Look, I think Chantel's example, the one that you gave about Chantel writing a master's thesis that developed a policy position on something, that's what we're missing. So you look at all of our advocacy organisations and there's quite a few out there. There is no consistent voice. Everybody's in there with their own little piece of interest and that never works. What you need is some thoughtfulness. Someone like Chantelle that deeply affected her career, she realised it's affecting other people, she then went and wrote a paper on it that, that put a position forward. And it doesn't mean that hers is the only position, but she did that thoughtfulness work that I don't see that we're doing. We're flying by the seat of our pants reacting to what government's reacting to. So, so then, wait, Marianne, I, I don't mean to make more work for you, though watch as I do it. Does that then mean that maybe the UTS Innovation and Entrepreneurship should be putting together a report slash policy proposal document around here's what our future needs to look like for kids to have jobs in 20 years? Uh, 
interesting proposition. Uh, what I find uh, the university doing a lot of at the moment is just going forward and trying to solve the problem itself. And UTS is not unique in doing this. I think every university across Australia is investing millions of dollars in driving entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs and this not waiting for people to solve it at a policy level. Yeah, I mean, you're a little bit further, I think, out on the edge than the other, other universities, but yes. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> we do things a little bit differently at UTS, I think, because we can get away with doing that. Uh, and we're ambitious about what we're trying to uh, create in impact. What I can say is that the studio at a board level is developing a policy document. Um, sorry, I forgot to say that. I should have probably mentioned that earlier on. <laughs> yeah, it's still early days, but yes, absolutely. Policy document around? Around what we're doing here, around um, entrepreneurship, around startups, around creativity, for federal and for state. All right, so John, this is a topic that's quite close to you and my, my heart, which is open source. Do we need to start to think about an open source framework for developing policy in this country? Is that maybe part of what we want to do that brings in the diversity and, and the energy that we need to start to think about this as a collaborative effect? Well, so just just to slightly dodge that question, because I, th I think there's another part that's really important here. Like we can, you can develop all the great policy in the world if it doesn't have an impact on the decision makers. There's really not a lot of point. I think that speaks to Anne Marie's point uh, to an extent. But who, you know, and if you come back to to, to my completely ad hoc, off the top of my head proposal around the idea of some sort of commission, like there you have a single point of focus, both for people such as Anne-Marie and the studio and the university and elsewhere to develop a proposal. It's, their job is to take proposals on, on certain areas of, you know, regulation and so on. And then you've also got an organisation with hopefully some clout some reputation, uh, some capacity to impact government uh, in the same way that the Law Reform Commission does or the Human Rights Commission. So, that's, that's, so I don't think this is at odds with what people are saying. It's thinking about how do you then have that political impact. And I guess that that's the thing is that when you think about policy, it's two sides of one coin. One is that there's a strong policy document, but the other is how do we actually bring this policy into being, right? It's that. It's, and that's the human capital, the human resources, the contacts, the networks. You know, just if I look around the table in this room, in terms of startup land, this is a very strong network. But in terms of policy land, it kind of all points at you, Anne-Marie, because you're the one who's had... And actually, also with you, Chantal, because the man who is currently the prime minister of this country was the person who opened, officially opened. He wasn't prime minister yet. He was still a week away from that. But, you know, so you did know how to arrange so that the policy and the politics and the power were aligned. So for me, we focus far too much on outputs and not outcomes. And I think that is why policy doesn't, we don't see it running. I actually got involved in policy 30 years ago because I hated it. And I felt that there was so much policy being written, but it wasn't landing anywhere. You know, my parents worked in the 1970s on access and equity. And then I ended up working for a federal government minister talking about that. And people were like, what's that? And it's like, it's enshrined. It's what governs the public sector. It's, it's about access and equitable outcomes for everybody. So what I have noticed across every policy area right, right now is that we measure outputs, not outcomes. And while we do that, it's all very nice to say, oh, but we've spent a billion dollars. We've had a hundred startups. But the outcomes is, well, what is the impact of that? 
How have we changed lives? How are we changing the trajectory of young people? I spoke at a, an event this week around young people and employment run by the City of Sydney. And one of the major problems with that is that we have got not just kids in high school scared about their future. We have kids that have graduated from university. So I met a radiologist and she was a very beautiful young woman who's like, I did this because a friend thought it was a good idea. My parents loved it because it was like medical. And she said, but I hate it. I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, have you heard of med tech? She said, no. And I said, well, you're halfway there. Now we just need to get you into that med tech world and you will just thrive. So it's at every level of workforce. Like like Chantelle, I came into the tech startup world five years ago after 30 years in policy and government. Like, seriously, if you had told me five years ago, 10 years ago, you're going to end up in that world, I would have said I doubt it. I have no skills. Yet I know I've got a ton of skills that's really great for this sector. So that's a point that I made the other night to let kids know. I'm 53. I changed my career in five years, five years ago, without any ex expertise in entrepreneurship, except that I was an intrapreneur without realising it. I had an innovation mindset inbred by my mum. So... That's what I think. I think we've got to change the landscape so that we focus more on outcomes, which is what is the outcome that we want from this policy, rather than just write policy for the sake of it. So it seems that sometimes a, a bit of what's going on here is there's, it's, it's, it's joining the dots. There's a lot of activity going on, but it's going on in all these different siloed areas. And sorry to bring it back to the studio, but we are sorry, Mark. We are an incubator. We are not a co-working space. And why we, why are we an incubator? Is because we wrap this 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 physical space with the startups, with the 140 residents, 40 startups now, uh, who've raised 27 million in less than a year, with. Uh, access to um, tech partners, academic partners, business um, and, and government. And so as the startups start to grow, if they need to get evidence around what they're doing, they connect deeply into one of our university partnerships. Um, or if they need to connect deeply with industry, we can connect them to our industry partners. And we're also building a global network. So I think this is sort of really policy in action that we're seeing here. And the other thing to say is... Um, I think it's incredibly exciting. And we also need to not just have this, these sorts of startup hubs in Sydney, in the CBD. We need this to be 10 times the size. We need startup hubs that are located in Liverpool, um, you know, way out at, you know, the Blue Mountains. We need different hubs like this that can sort of uh, have all these other, can, be, can form bigger ecosystems to really activate uh, every part of um, society. See, this give the studio more money yes, uh, and every organisation <laughs> like it. I think policy is good for certain things, but if people are doing great work, which you are, give you more resources, uh, show the impact you're having and then support the creation of more impact in those areas. Find all the other organisations that are doing, doing great things to support the ecosystem and this make sure they don't die away mm. and can realise their potential. I mean, look at Station F in Paris. I've only read about it. I haven't been there. It's a major startup hub in the centre of Paris. They allow anyone to to go and be a startup there. They have a they have a um, an expression of interest. You know, a sort of you've you've got to be eligible to to be there. But they have people from all around the world wanting to be there. So it's not just for the French. We absolutely need to be doing something like that here. How exciting would that be? And we need to break the silos across every 
industry possible. So the kids that I met last night, they should be coming here every day. On on like every school should should have a walkthrough here. And we do have an ecosystem outside of Sydney. Spark Festival highlights the fact that we've got stuff going on in Newcastle and in Taree and in Wagga. And but there's just the silos where the schools are operating as schools and that's why, as you said, Mark, earlier, like it's just not changing. Like the, it hasn't changed a lot since we've been at school. It might be a little bit better, but kids are still being funnelled into university and, you know, the same old, same old. So I think, you know, we just need to break down these silos and just get everyone working across the ecosystems together. And that's how we'll get that energy and that enthusiasm. And <laughs> and the studio can be at the heart of that because really at the heart of this is communication and we are actually, without telling the government, we are building a media empire here. So we have studios, we have a green screen, we have a sound studio, we have a VR lab. These are all tools that we can use, the startup community can use to really talk about what's going on here and to get people excited. And maybe even have a conversation in depth about policy. Folks, it has been absolutely great to be able to talk to you. Chantal Abishar, Anne-Marie Elias, Mari Herbs, John Elsip, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. We're stuffed as a country. Uh, I don't think I'm overstating it. Think of all the people that are driving taxis, driving trucks, working on farms, working in mines, working in professional services. What are those people going to be doing in five, ten years' time? Um, this, That by itself, think of your children. If you've got children listening to this, what are they going to be doing in 20 years' time? Um, I think as a species, we're very bad at dealing with problems that are five plus years away, global warming, et cetera. Uh, And I think we're heading into a period of change in Australia that we're not equipped for and we're not responding to. Uh, There are not enough entrepreneurs in Australia. There are nowhere near enough tech entrepreneurs in Australia. According to Startup Muster, it's about one and a half thousand. We did a population estimate with Data61 and that number is decreasing in terms of active early stage tech startups in Australia. No one is addressing this problem. I think there's great advocacy. There's AAA, Startup Oz, other organisations that are putting great positions forward. I don't think government is listening to those policies. And I suspect that's because people aren't voting based on uh, the policies and how people respond to them. I don't know what to do about it though. This week in Startups Australia, would like to welcome new sponsor, .co. A strong online presence is non-negotiable in today's market. Whether it's your primary location for sales and trade, or you just want to have some key information online so people can discover your business, your website is the core 
of your online brand. And when it comes to choosing a domain name for your website, there are now countless options of domain extensions to choose from. But if you're looking for a domain that is short, SEO-friendly, global, and truly supports your business, go with .co. .co is the domain name for innovators, entrepreneurs, startups, and creators growing their extraordinary ideas online. With more names available than any other legacy namespace, .co is for everyone who is hustling hard and building something awesome. With freebies, resources, and tools for startups available even to those without a .co domain, check out www.go.co slash twista today and find the perfect .co domain for your big idea. .co, where big ideas belong on the web. Last week, I returned from a very quick business trip to Saudi Arabia, which is not a destination most people go to. And I actually went there as part of a team who were advising one of the many branches of the Saudi government around how to create a more business-friendly and specifically more startup-friendly ecosystem. What are the kinds of products and services that they need? What are the kinds of policies that they need. And it isn't rocket science to say that there's plenty of examples that you can look at from Australia to Israel to France to America around how you might want to set the policy settings to do the best by startups. But startups don't function in a vacuum. There's a whole network of businesses, large and small, that interact with them. And if you're going to make business easy for startups, you're probably also going to make business easy for all of those other kinds of businesses at the same time. And that became clear because the Saudis want to promote all sorts of small businesses, startups being an important part of that, tech startups being a very important part of that. But they know that this isn't the whole story. They know that to move their economy well into the 21st century, which they see as one of their guiding goals, that they need to actually take a deep look at how we can connect the startups to policymakers to the economy generally and create something that works well for everyone, not perfectly, because the perfect is the enemy of the good here, but just well enough that people can feel comfortable going to work in startups, feeling that the banking system has their back, that the government has their back, that the population behind them are in agreement that these are good things to do. There's a lot of very bright young men and women in Saudi Arabia who are working in startups, who are trying to create that vision of the future. And one of the things that I noticed at this conference, the conference was mostly panels, was that, in fact, women were represented on the panels at this conference in at least as good, if not greater numbers than most of the startup conferences that I go to in Australia or in America. And that probably needs to be a bit of a lesson right there. But however we want to proceed... Anywhere you go in the world, you can see that policy settings are important, that startups, as much as we think that they're perfectly in a vacuum and they don't need government and they don't need anything other themselves and plucky entrepreneurs and maybe some great investors, that in fact, we're all connected. We're all connected in an ecosystem. We're all connected inside of a community. And to work inside of that community, you actually do want to have policies to guide you.
Twista is sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Are you a small business or small e-tailer looking for better ways to streamline costs and improve efficiency? Introducing SendPro Plus from Pitney Bowes, the complete office sending solution that makes it easy for small businesses and e-tailers to consistently choose the right sending option for each parcel or letter. SendPro Plus provides shipping options and prices, prints labels, and tracks parcels. An integrated, accurate scale helps assign the correct parcel, label, or postage. SendPro Plus makes sending simple with automatic rate updates and a shared address book across available carriers. Pitney Bowes brings shipping, mailing, and tracking capabilities to businesses looking to simplify their shipping and mailing while reducing costs. Simplify and save with SendPro Plus today and receive a $200 credit toward your parcel shipping costs. Terms and conditions apply. To learn more, visit pitneybows.com au slash twista. Well, Australia's federal election is coming up on the 18th of May, and hopefully we've been able to give you lots of things that you can reflect on in the privacy of the voting booth as you cast your ballot and decide for yourselves the future for the Australia that you want. Big thanks to Twistasponsors.co, UTS Startups, and Pitney Bowes. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to the studio at Winyard Green for providing the amazing facility where we record this week in startups. It's the place for creative tech. Find out more at thestudio.org.au. Thanks to Chantal Abishar, Murray Herbs, Anne-Marie Elias, and John Alsop for making the time to come on our show. Now, last year, we rebuilt and relaunched our website at twistartupsaus.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. Check it out at twistartupsaus.com. Now, we'll be back next week with what I actually reckon to be one of our best episodes and one of the most important conversations we've had on the show. It's a deep exploration of founder health and well-being with Stone & Chalk Managing Director Alex Scandera. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. 